James, thank you very much. Um, very good to see uh, so many of you here today, and a real pleasure, as always, to, uh, to come back to the, uh, the Reuters Institute to talk. So, um, yes, the future of television news. Uh, this, this is not going to be rich in um, uh, academic data and analysis. This is going to be uh, a slightly um, a broader take on a number of issues. Um, uh, about a year ago, I had a dyspeptic moment with a former colleague of mine, Sean McGuire, and wrote a piece for The Guardian, the top left one, have 24-hour TV news channels had their day, which, as, as with um, uh, my challenge document for the Reuters Institute, was a question to which the answer, of course, is no, because that's the iron rule of rhetorical questions, and the answer is always no. Um, so, um, uh, but it really took a look at a number of the things that I think have gone wrong, a number of the problems that television news channels in particular have, although a lot of what I'm going to talk about applies more broadly to TV news as well. Uh, and um, it, it did start a bit of a debate here in the UK with um, BBC and Sky who run TV news channels here and CNN um, and seems to have become a, a bit of a theme of the moment. Earlier this week the New York Times had this room for debate, is network news dead? Partly provoked by the Brian Williams saga over there of course and just this morning the Independent uh, has someone saying why is the BBC bad at TV news? The answer is it isn't but um, uh, there are raising a number of the issues that um, uh, uh, I, I raised as well. So uh, at least I got in early. That's, that may be <laughs> the best thing we can say about all of that. But let me just kick off with um, a, a few clips and then get into some of the sort of um, uh, analysis and then we'll open it up for discussion. So uh, what are some of the problems that TV news faces? And we'll, we all know about this. Now, uh, fine, well, I think we're all probably familiar with that from uh, Fox News, and of course it's quite amusing, not least because there was a kind of an instant response on social media, uh, done rather wittily with hashtags, you know, Fox News facts, um, and uh, someone said Fox News would be more accurate if they employed actual foxes, uh, <laughs> and those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, in one sense, no harm done, because it was so ridiculous and so quickly rebutted. But I, 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 do, I can't help wondering, what were they thinking about? I mean, what, did he honestly believe that? Is he so deeply misinformed he believes that's the case? And if so, how? Where's, where's his information coming from? Do they just think they can get away with it and it doesn't matter? What's their motivation for trying to put that sort of thing into the public realm? Uh, you know, what on earth is actually going on there? Uh, it's quite, quite a serious kind of uh, case of misinformation. Now, not everything, of course, is as obvious or as blatant um, as that. This next one, you know, you may want to debate about whether it's, it's right or wrong. But um, listen to the intro and then listen to the eyewitness, particularly about halfway through, about a minute into what they're saying, I'd say. So we don't, we, we don't actually know who's speaking. It's a man on the scene. What, no name, no indication of who they are. So a man on the scene starts talking about the eyewitness stuff that you see, wreckage and passports, and it's terrible. And then suddenly, um, uh, reports from within the militia, you know, indicate that this came from the Ukraine. Sorry, you know, who is this? A farmer? And how has he met these reports from militia? What you know? Is, what exactly is going on here? Now, it may be completely legitimate. Maybe it was someone who was on the ground who did bump into the militia who said, "Oh yes, and we're pretty sure this came from the Ukrainian side." But it feels like it's just blatant propaganda passed off in the format of TV news and the hope that nobody will notice. So at least there's a, the very least is an absolute lack of transparency about what the public's being told or how or why. And at worst, it's very crude propaganda being passed off as legitimate journalism. 
Um, now, there are lots of examples we could use. So these, these are two cases of, you know, to be honest with you, Fox News is no different. It's, it's, it's a different form of propaganda in a way. So there's one issue here for television news is that it's being used for ends that I think many of us would not be comfortable about, and it raises the question of media literacy and the extent to which the audiences are or aren't aware of it. Um, there's um, uh, lots of other things, problem, problems with TV news at the minute, and I, I was going to try and pull out some of the spoof you know, we've got the Daily Show and we had Charlie Brooker and there was a series called Broken News, some of the spoof examples that take the mickey out of what's wrong with television news. But actually using a real example is far better and far more entertaining, so some of you will know this one as well, I'm sure. Yeah, is television news channels uh, necessity to be live even when nothing's happening <laughs> and a necessity to speculate even when they have no information? And that's at the very heart of, of the proposition around live television news channels. So some of the things that I, that I identified in, in that article were, and, and then I'm going to uh, uh, break off and take a, a slightly more strategic look. But firstly, the whole question of breaking news. So television news channels, BBC, CNN, Sky, all market themselves on breaking news. It's about the only thing they market themselves on, really. And yet, increasingly, they don't deliver it. Because actually, if news is breaking, the internet is far better. So they've been outflanked in terms of breaking news by the internet, and yet they go on marketing themselves purely around breaking news. Something's broken there. Cost and resources. So in, in times of very hard pressure on public funding for the licence fee, but commercial pressure, and we know about all the, the business and commercial resource pressures that journalism is under, for how long does it make sense to spend 60 to $100 million a year on a news channel to get less than 2% of the available audience and fail to deliver the only thing you marketed on, which is breaking news. For how much longer is that really going to be viable? And then there's news judgment. So they're stuck outside the hospital waiting for something to happen for days, speculating on the basis of no facts because they feel competitively they have to be there and they have to be live. Uh, so it warps news judgments. Uh, there are plenty of examples of where news channels lock in live uh, uh, endlessly because they feel they have to be there as opposed to reporting other issues, reporting other matters, um, providing other context, providing other analysis. Partisanship, I mean we talked about that with the earlier clips around Fox and, and Russia Today but there's no question that particularly uh, in America, particularly with the talk shows, it drives partisanship because they push for impact, they push for more drama uh, and, and it drives political partisanship uh, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's significant problem in the US. You can see some signs of that happening here in the UK and in other parts of Europe. So partisanship driven by the necessity of the news channels to provide impact uh, is an issue. The format and choreography um, uh, and the age of the satellite is over. These things go together. So news channels, when they were invented by CNN in 1980, were transformative. They were extraordinary. Suddenly they broke the whole kind of news cycle away from the morning paper or the evening bulletin to being live 24 hours a day. Um, uh, they could go live from all over the world. Um, they, they changed all sorts of things and were, were extraordinary in 1980. But the age of the satellite is over. I mean, the satellites are still in use, but we're in the age of the internet and the age of IP now. And that has different requirements. And a lot of the formats of TV news and a lot of the choreography of TV news, the big <coughs> studios, the handing over to the live spot, the fixed satellite dishes, all of that are functions of satellite technology and the requirements of satellite technology. And those formats have stayed in place, but the technology has moved on. 
So the, you know, the, the necessity, the formats, the opportunities of internet technology are entirely different. And we see some of it on the internet, but you know, when we, I think we'll see, need to start thinking about what the opportunities are for television out of a different technology, rather than being locked in the formats of the choreography of the past. And the other problem with that is that increasingly those formats and that choreography, as I call it, are unconvincing, certainly for younger viewers. They just don't, it's false, it's inauthentic, and they're right, it's not authentic, it's not real, it's entirely manufactured, it's a stage production um, uh, of, of trying to appear live, trying to appear conversational when actually it's all very heavily produced. And again, in the internet age, that no longer works. Uh, so something's broken about that as well. But let's just take uh, a couple of steps back from that. That's the, uh, the setup and the intro, if you like. Uh, I've done it as a television news running order. So um, we have four items of good news, we have four items of bad news, and we have two challenges at the end, and then we'll, we'll get into a discussion. So the f if, you, if you run television news in some way, the first item of good news is that about 85% of people with television still primarily get their news from TV. So we shouldn't be in any doubt, whatever's going wrong, television is still the most powerful medium for communication that we have. Uh, and that's a figure, it varies from 75 to over 90, depending on the territory, but roughly 85% of people still use TV to get their news and information, and therefore it's a fantastically powerful platform uh, and still very important. So that's obviously good news if you're in the television news. I'm sure they use other things as well, but 85% of people with television say they get news and information from television. They use it as a primary source, not their only source, but a primary source. Uh, the second good news story, if you are in the television business, is that brand still matters. Um, a brand is still used as a major means of navigating your way through an increasingly complex jungle of sources of information. And obviously that's true of the online and internet and so on, but brand does still matter. Some people will, will you know, search out and find um, unknown sources of information or unusual different sources of information, of course. I suppose if you're already in the TV news business or if you're interested in being in it, the fact that more news channels are still being launched is also a good thing. This is not a sector that's in rapid decline. In fact, uh, there were some European um, studies that I think there are now, uh, I think, well over between two and 300 news channels across Europe. Uh, and there was something like um, 20 launched in the two-year period of study. Now there's churn because there were almost that many that closed as well, not the same ones. So there is some churn. But nevertheless, overall, there's still growth. More news channels are being launched year on year, and certainly that's true globally and pan-nationally as well. We're, you know, the latest um, suite is from Turkey, TRT, are seeking to launch an English news channel with Arabic and, and Turkish and so on as well. So a lot of those are state-funded. But nevertheless, there are more news channels being launched. And, and of course, when we say news channels, we should be clear, we talk about slightly different things. There are national news channels, um, uh, there are regional news channels, um, so the national ones here obviously would be like BBC and Sky, there are pan-regional Arab channels, Arabic channels, and there are global channels, CNN, BBC, but also Al Jazeera, um, RT, and you know, increasingly numbers of global channels as well. The global ones tend not to be commercial, they may run adverts, but they tend to be state-subsidised in some way, um, including the Emir of Qatar is state subsidy for Al Jazeera. Um, uh, regional ones and national ones uh, uh, are, are more often commercial and, and, and national can be profitable. 
but nevertheless news is not an obvious way to make money um, uh, and a lot are, are subsidised uh, either by parallel channels and businesses or by the state. So therefore the fourth good news story is that according to most projections I think uh, PwC said that the global media sector uh, advertising revenues were set to grow at more than 5% over the next three to five years. That's not a huge growth but at least it's better than the kind of flatlining that's had recently. And therefore, if you're in TV business, that's good. TV advertising is, is showing some signs of life again. And if you're in the news business, um, even if you d don't run a channel that's profitable, Sky News, for example, has ever been profitable, but it is underwritten by the profits of the rest of Sky. Uh, and therefore, the fact that the rest of Sky could be very profitable uh, ensures the continuation of Sky News, because they want news as part of their offer and part of their portfolio. So the fact that revenues are starting to, uh, to grow again across uh, the media sector and across TV in particular is good news if you're in the TV business. So four good news stories, lots of people are still watching, brand still matters, uh, uh, it's a growing sector, more people are interested in growing the sector and advertising and revenues are set to increase. So, so far so good. Uh, but of course there's another side to the coin as well. So the first bad news story is really the demographic wave that continues to roll through. So um, uh, this is certainly felt most in um, uh, the US and in Western Europe. I think in the US the average age of television news viewer is over 67. Uh, in the UK it's late 50s. Um, but overall people who watch television tend to be older. Uh, and if you're under 30 you watch less television uh, than your parents' generation. Now, the argument has always been in the past that, uh, oh, well, as soon as they settle down and get bored of going out every night um, um, and want mortgages and families to settle down and switch the TV on, won't they? Uh, to which, for reasons we'll come to in a minute, the answer, I think, increasingly is going to be no, they won't. Um, but, you know, this demographic wave it is a real problem for television because, actually, if your audience is ageing and ageing, basically your audience is dying off. And that's why television becomes youth-obsessed, because it's got to find its future. Uh, and it hasn't yet really found a sustainable long-term future in terms of its audience, um, for reasons that we're going to talk more about at the minute. But basically, that demographic wave, it continues to age, and the audience for TV continues to get older. And the worrying thing about it is that the audience for news is getting older faster than the audience for the rest of television. In other words, it's true of television as a whole that older people tend to watch television more than younger people do, um, but news uh, is even worse. In other words, if you're under 30, you may watch a bit of television, but it's less likely to be news than it will be other genres. So the audience for news is ageing even faster than the audiences for other kinds of television. So there is a real news issue for TV going forward. Bad news story two is that technology is changing both consumer behaviour and it's enabling new entrants. So um, uh, you may well have had um, uh, uh, other seminars here discussing this, but certainly the take-up of mobile and tablet has been exponential and continues to grow. Uh, that use, tablet use, is not, again, just at the kind of younger end of the demographic spectrum. It's working its way right through. So therefore, this threat to television other platforms for using news is pushing its way up the age profile, just as um, we have the problem with the, the other part of the demographic wave, which is that it's only older people that watch it. Well, some of those older people are getting eroded by new technology as well. Uh, and there's signs that show that once people get used to using their mobile to find news through the day, 
they're less likely to go to television. They're less likely to seek out a TV news channel in particular. Uh, they may still want to sit down and watch a, a bulletin, a set take on the day at the end of the day. But again, that tends to be an older activity. But the use of 24-hour news to catch up with the news through the day is less and less and less because people get used to using smartphones, which are becoming you know, far better and more uh, usable and uh, cheaper, and increasingly tablets and so on as well. And the other thing, of course, is that technology has um, uh, absolutely cut the barriers to entry into uh, video news and uh, other forms of digital and electronic news. So we see new entries like Vice, which I'm sure we'll talk more about in a minute, uh, basically a magazine brand which has gone into online video uh, and has had a huge impact. Uh, and now it's talking about moving from online video to TV. Well, personally, I'm not sure whether that's, that's really a sensible thing for them to do, but that's up to them. Um, but nevertheless, in terms of finding a younger audience, serving a younger audience in new ways with new formats and enabling a new entrant into the news space and into the news industry and the news business, technology enables that to happen far more than the case 20 years ago where you needed huge investment in capital equipment and studios and satellites and all the rest of it in order to be able to get underway. So, tech, bad story too, technology means consumers are watching, less inclined to watch TV, they, they find other means and other ways of catching up with the news and watching video and finding the news and it's a permanent change in behaviour, which is why they're you know this business, so, well, once they hit 30 they'll settle down and watch TV, well actually no, they tend to go on using their phones and tablets and it's bringing in more competition. So a kind of technology has a double bind uh, around the problem there. Bad news story three, there is a lot of um, uh, data now that suggests that uh, editorial value is polarizing. Uh, of course, which is an online kind of business site, a rather good one, uh, in particular has talked about this, but, but a lot of people have done this study that basically says there is a market and interest in breaking news in other words, people want what's the latest thing, you know, what's the latest information, what's happening, and there's a market uh, and uh, in-depth in and specialist news. In other words, I'm particularly interested in this subject and I want to go and find out more about it and find it in-depth, and I may even be prepared to pay a subscription to find more about the things that I'm particularly interested in. But there's less and less of a market in the middle. Um, and of course the middle is where most newsrooms, what most newsrooms are configured to deliver. Most newsrooms traditionally configure the two-minute television package or the six or seven hundred word newspaper feature and actually what the impact of digital technology has been is to, to remove the demand for that and polarise demand into instant breaking news or in-depth specialist information about the things I'm interested in. So again, if you run a TV newsroom that's basically traditionally being configured to deliver the middle, then you've got a problem. You can either go to breaking news or you've got to find a way of doing in-depth, or you've got to find a way of combining both. The problem with breaking news, as we touched on earlier, is you've been outflanked by the internet, which can do it faster, and actually the internet can probably do in-depth and specialist better than a traditional mainstream television newsroom can. So there's a real kind of um, uh, identity crisis there for some broadcast newsrooms, and indeed I think for the newspaper and other kinds of newsrooms there, about what's the kind of journalism they're there to deliver, because it's changing under their feet driven by changing consumer habits, which in turn are driven by the availability of new technology. So, what's your editorial proposition is changing very rapidly. Uh, and that's, I suggest, bad news story number three. And bad news story number four is that everything's about to change again, uh, if that wasn't enough. 
we now have internet connected TVs or smart TVs uh, in, in many living rooms. It's not yet mainstream here in the UK. I'm not sure about other markets. Um, as yet, they're a little bit like mobile phones were a dozen or so years ago. You know, you, there were apps, but they were a bit clunky. They didn't always work very happily. They, didn't, they weren't a kind of seamless, natural experience. But, you know, mobile phone apps now are much better and, and the user experience is, is very smooth and delivers a lot of value and a lot of quality and that is going to translate and move across onto TV screens. So when your TV in the corner has everything the internet has on it, configured through apps which are a pleasure to use and easy to use, what are people going to watch? And in particular, where are they going to go to find the latest news? And I suggest they're less likely to go to a news channel in particular where they may suddenly hit the ad break or they may just go into the business news and then some other segment if they want to find out and wait for the hour to turn until they get the news summary on the half hour or the top of the hour, they can just go straight into the news app and get the latest headline anytime they want, however they want. And it's going to be on their 50-inch high-definition screen in the corner of the room. Uh, so I think IPTV is going to drive different kinds of behaviour, different kinds of news consumption. It's going to require different kinds of news provision again. Um, uh, and I think that's a, a step change on, even from where we are at the moment, I suggest. So, trying to pull some of that together, I think a lot of this, as I said at the beginning, is about the age of the satellite coming to an end. A lot of how television news is configured, how it works, how the newsroom works, how it thinks of its relationship with the audience, the kind of journalism that it tries to produce, has all been a consequence of satellite technology, which in its day, 35 years ago, was fantastic, but actually it's over. And I think the TV news industry generally has been slow to recognise that. And equally, it's been slow to really innovate around the opportunities for digital technology, which we'll come to in a minute. Uh, so it's got a number of real problems. The known challenge has got economic issues. Um, uh, uh, we know that the news business has got problems, that actually users are shrinking, particularly in the West, not, I have to say, in Asia and, and other parts of the world, but, but as a, a, a Western Europe, the US issue particularly, major economic challenges. Technology is changing consumer behaviour. It's letting in uh, new entrants and great increase in competition. Uh, and the audiences are drifting off from television to other platforms and other forms of convenient um, consumption of news. So we know about those challenges. There are other things. Um, I think there is a, a, an editorial culture, an issue both on and off air. So the on air issue is the Simon McCoy issue. It's all of this rather clumsy choreography around uh, live links and correspondence in fixed places, trying to talk to a big studio and how does all that work and it gets in the way of the story. Uh, you know, my, my son who's in his 20s goes mad when he watches TV news. He said, can you just shut up and get it all out of the way? All I want is the story. You know, and you're busy talking to each other and talking to yourself and you've got all this. Get it all out of the way and just tell me what's happening. Because that's what he's used to when he goes on the internet. Um, and off-air, there's a big culture in thinking about news, thinking about production, uh, and trying to think about the relationship with the audience and how it should be providing information and what it can do. And there's a big challenge, you know, I'm a former uh, BBC person of 30 years uh, for public service broadcasting and those of us who believe in public service broadcasting, what is public service broadcasting on a mobile screen? Um, where is the value, public service value, 
in a screen that big as opposed to a television with a very different kind of uh, set of behaviours associated with it. And I think that is a very big uh, challenge for some parts of the industry. So putting all of those together, I think there are two big things. One is the dominance of the consumer. And people in television and in media generally have long talked about, oh, you know, of course it's audience focus and it's audience need and we're focused on what people want. But that was at a time where they were still in command and in control. And actually, if you were in television, you could decide what the running order is, you could put it out as and when you wanted it, and by and large, people had to take it. Technology now is absolutely putting the consumer completely in control. They have so much choice, there is so much interactivity, they have so much technology at their disposal, that relationship has turned around completely. And I think how TV news, the whole of the television industry to a large extent, but particularly for news, responds to that and, and, and you know, what it, how it relates to the consumer in that, um, uh, in that circumstance has not been thought through very much by broadcasters at all. And the second challenge is the one around innovation. Um, uh, everyone in the news business at the minute says, oh yes, we're digital first, you know, uh, that's what it's all right, digital first, uh, but it's basically a slogan. What they mean is they've shifted the desks around in the newsroom a little bit, um, and the online desk is now next to the TV desk. Well, that's not <laughs> digital first. Um, or they say, you know, it's okay, we've asked our correspondents to file a piece for the website, but, you know, before they file a piece for the 10 o'clock news. Even that's not digital first. Actually, digital first, as print has discovered, because print has had this huge wave of disruption over the last decade, means rethinking every process and the whole purpose of the organisation and how it works and what its priorities are. And I think this second wave of digital disruption is about to force broadcasting through that same painful process. It's not enough just to say, it's OK, we've got a website and a mobile app as well as the TV programme. They've got to rethink everything about how the process works, what their priorities are, the nature of the business they're in, the nature of the information they provide and how they provide it and why they provide it, uh, fundamentally in order to try and get on top of the disruption that's happening around them. And as I say, I think print's been through it and broadcast is about to go through it with this next wave of, of digital disruption that's, that's breaking over them. So if you take those on board, just to set up the conversation and discussion a little bit, what might TV look like in the future? There's a lot of speculation about it, so um, not just for, for TV. I mean, from the States, we had the New York Times Innovation Report. They're rethinking what um, journalism for um, an institution like the New York Times should be. There's a lot of think tank stuff, Reuters Institute, but Town Center and Columbia Journalism School thinking about what is journalism in this post-industrial age and so on. There's a lot of this stuff going on out there. The BBC came out last month with its Future of News project, it's busy thinking about the Future of News and a lot of these issues. So there's a lot of thinking and there is some innovation going on. I would say more now than a year ago, but I don't subscribe that to me writing in The Guardian at all. I think it's just timing, it's coming through, people are beginning to get, a grip, get to grips with it. Uh, and let me just try a couple of um, examples. I'm not saying these are great examples at all, but they are uh, examples of organisations thinking about what television news could be in this new environment. Oh, sorry, before I get to that, Vice, so that's one thing. Uh, this is Waterloo Station. Um, I, I can remember when I ran BBC News that we argued for long and hard to get a, a sign in Waterloo Station uh, with BBC News headlines on, which we managed for a while until someone said it was, I don't know, uncompetitive or something or other, so we had to drop it. Vice didn't just have one ball, they took the whole Waterloo Station out. And interestingly, their proposition is a very old-fashioned public service proposition. You get both sides of the story from Vice News. 
by implication you don't get them elsewhere, like the BBC or CNN or ITV. Um, but Vice is, is a real, uh, really interesting example of a new entrant here. And of course, the great advantage they have is that they don't have a television channel. So they can go and do a documentary, they can go and do some video news, and when they've got it and when they're ready, they'll put it on the web. And they get a lot of traffic, particularly from younger audiences. They have a very um, uh, immersive style of doing their journalism, which pulls in particularly younger viewers and makes them feel they're in the middle of what's happening. Uh, they're not, you know, stiff correspondents talking down and, and intermediating between the, the viewer and the event. They pull the viewer right in so you feel you're alongside the journalist experiencing it. That's their style. It works very well for a niche audience. They have the luxury of targeting a niche audience, unlike a broadcaster who has to do something for everybody. So they don't have a schedule to fill. They can disregard the older audience. They can, you know, particularly target themselves in a way, but they've had real impact by doing it. And I think they're very interesting to watch. And arguably, there may be more services like, like that. You say, okay, you can be niche, we can decide who our audience is, we can just target on that, and we can produce it in a, in a way which is far more engaging for that particular niche audience than you know, trying to do uh, a broadcast two minute report that gives something to everybody. So, perhaps niche and online is part of the answer, uh, but there are other examples too, and just play a couple of them. So Roy's TV is a new app, you can download it. It's going to be subscription, you get a 30 day free trial. It puts together all the Reuters TV reports that they otherwise sell for the broadcasters. Uh, you can say the things you're interested in and it will compile them in the, in, around the things that you're interested in. You can say when you want to watch, so you can say I want it compiled at nine in the morning and midday and six in the evening, that's when I'm particularly going to watch and it will compile them particularly for then. You can say I want a five minute digest or I want a 20 minute digest and it will compile them to the time duration you want, at the time you want, how you want, or you can just go in and watch at any stage and it's an app for TV, uh, for mobile phones and for tablets. Now, I don't know whether it's going to work, um, Reuters is a, you know, this company particularly, a very great brand. Uh, they struggled to be a consumer-facing news organisation for a long time, but this is their latest play in trying to <coughs> jump over well, their normal business customers in order to reach the consumers. So I think it's very interesting, and I think the idea that you have all of that flexibility, you have a sense of direct access to the Reuters news gathering machine, and it's configured for your maximum convenience, is a very interesting proposition. A very similar idea. Basically, you can schedule what you want, when you want. Uh, they're an aggregator, so they have deals with a number of other broadcasters and news providers for video news. Uh, social integration, uh, to a greater extent than Reuters, so they're building in you know, the fact you can put this up on Facebook and Twitter and the rest of it, because obviously that will drive their business. Um, but you know, a similar idea, but you know, a broader space of input. Again, it's not really going to work for breaking news. But if you want to have you know, your take on the day from your favourite sources aggregated and put together, it, you know, it, it, it's going for uh, user convenience. So what might the future look like? Let's just talk about a few possibilities. So I, I would suggest it's going to be more about the story and not the theatre and choreography of broadcasting. The things that people want are speed and flexibility openness, transparency, greater tailoring to individual needs, uh, and they want to be able to watch it across lots of platforms, so mobile phones, as well as the TV, as well as the tablet, as well as the PC or whatever as well. Uh, they want immediacy and they want depth, um, but you know, it may well be the case that in a decade's time it no longer makes sense to talk about TV or print because everybody's converging. So the Wall Street Journal now 
at their morning editorial conference doesn't consider anything for their front page that doesn't have a video component. So they are moving into the video news area just as broadcasters are moving into online digital and everything's coming together in what you configure as news on the mobile phone or the tablet best and that's a mixture of um, video and social content and text and background and so on as well. So everyone's moving together in a decade's time. You know, it may not matter so much of what your, what your origins were as a broadcaster or as a newspaper. Um, and I think some of the questions that, that need to be asked a little bit are, obviously, how can broadcast news and the web integrate better or integrate further than they've managed at the minute? And one of my big problems with news channels, but I think in TV news more generally, is actually that kind of integration to date has been very clunky. We'll read out some emails, we'll give you a Twitter hashtag, um, uh, occasionally uh, they get a bit deeper than that, but you know, what is the television equivalent of the live blog? Um, when the Boston bombings happened um, a couple of years ago, actually the live blogs by the New York Times and the Boston Globe were by far the best place to find out what had happened. What was the broadcasting equivalent of that? Or they go on letting those production concerns of broadcasting get in the way of providing the information to the consumer and to the viewer, which I think still happens a bit at the minute. Same with Charlie Hebdo, if, if you wanted, you were watching the events during that day, the best place to find out what was happening wasn't the news channel, it was online. Um, so, when TVs in the age of IPTV offer seamless and easy access to the internet, how are people going to consume news? What's the next stage of that developing consumer behaviour around broadcast news in particular? And how can broadcasters um, anticipate that and, um, and provide for it? What's that going to look like in five years' time? And what is this public service difference? If we believe in news and the value of news, whether you're publicly funded or not is not the, not the issue. It's the same for ITV or, or Sky. In this country, they're all regulated to provide a public service, um, news service in some way. What, what is the PSB difference in the digital environment is, I think, a really difficult question for people to answer at the minute. Uh, so there you are, a few questions to set us up for the discussion.